0: Just a heads up, this episode deals with some pretty sensitive issues. So, parents, before you listen with your kids, we ask that you listen first. Thanks so much.
1: Here comes
2: the sign, do do do. Here comes the sign, and I say it's all right. Hello, Fortitude audience. Thank you for being with us today. My name is Heather Kittleson, and I am your host. And I am with my co-host Amos Kittleson.
0: Hello, also known as husband.
2: Husband. <laughs> and today we have Qual in our studio with us. And recently, Qual and I have become dear friends. And um, I just we share we share a lot of the same things in our spirit. And so I'm so honored to have your story with us today, Qual. So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. Likewise, it's definitely a treasured um, space and definitely love to connect with you guys as we share these moments and tell our stories.
2: Oh, thank you. And you are a storyteller, which is really fun. (laughs) The way that we connected was um, by... Well, we just had bumped bumped into each other a few different times in the community. And both of us were like, we're supposed to meet. Yes. yes. And uh, the more that you were sharing your story with me, the more I realized that it needs to be told even bigger and broader. So um, hence the podcast. Uh, your Just kind of go into a little bit of who you are today and what you're doing for your career and all those things and then we'll we'll dig into your childhood
1: well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, That's always an interesting question when someone is asked is like, you know, who you are. And I think mm-hmm. when we think about life, your identity is sometimes chased by the ones that care and the ones that bring you, like that rear you in, and the ones that are in your inner circles. So for me, um currently right now, what I do is I am a founder and owner of Design Narratives. And essentially that career came about being in uh, client acquisitions for 12 years. So customer service and human centric approach has always been my forte and just being around people. Um, so with my consulting firm, what we do is teach organizations how to tell their story. Just like we're here. Sometimes when people have a uniqueness in their life, sometimes they just may not have the words to say them. And I think uh, kind of got that gift to understand people through empathy. Is like, hey, what's your story? What What are you about? What is your, What's your why? So that's what my That's what I do with my consulting firm. So,
2: which to me has a little bit of psychology to it because I felt like when I was sitting with you, or just maybe like, I was like, you're like a therapist, man. Like, like (laughs) it was like, you would say words that I was thinking before they even came out of my mouth or like just the way that you could articulate things. I was blown away. So it is definitely a gift of yours.
1: Thank you. And I think it was, it was part of my childhood and, and we'll get into the story in a little bit, but I think sometimes people understand others' emotions when they're able to just come with open arms and mm-hmm. I think our society kind of shaped us into being guarded and close and then sometimes we miss the beautiful opportunities of a connection so yeah yes
2: and you definitely are empathetic
1: yeah. at least yeah. I try to be at least that's what be would tell me
0: I hopefully yeah. I have some emotions in there so what do you, what do
2: we call it and um apat what's the you, what's you the, used word? the word
0: empath, empath. This yeah yeah, yeah. I only know that from Star Trek. Yeah. Is that a real <laughs> it's 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 true. Is sometimes. that a word that's used yes. with real yes. human beings? Yes.
1: Um one of the things in my my inner circles, um, one of the things that I had to learn is that even lacing emotional intelligence and and receiving people an emotional level. Sometimes, like I said earlier, we're closed off, but being an empath, you're able to physically feel the people's emotion. And I think sometimes when somebody's feeling sadness, joy, and then people who are high in empath or have high empathy. They just feel it. And then sometimes they don't have, the person doesn't have to explain. We just resonate with them in that space. And I think those are the human moments that connect us. So yeah. Yes. It's
2: so
0: beautiful. It is foreign to me.
2: And I love this, that you just said I used a word for you today that, <laughs> but you were like, wow, that was a big word, Heather.
0: It's usually <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> that's actually a
1: thing. You had to pause yes. for a moment.
0: <laughs> and I knew exactly what you were conveying. And it was yeah. like, yeah, that totally that totally makes sense. I just questioned whether or not it was a fictional, like a science hey, it was fiction or a not. With it. I was like, I don't know, Heather. Let's pull, let's let's bring out the dictionary.
2: No, <laughs> I will tell you because there's this gentleman named Qual who who has told me that it is a thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a real thing.
2: Okay. So here's—when we started talking about your story, I I, i, started, I mean, I felt I, my pen couldn't stop because it is so complex, so complex. So if we can go back a little bit to—you are a refugee from Sudan. Yes. And you were 10 years old. You were in yep. fifth grade yep. when you relocated over here to yep. the United States. Yes. But there was so much that happened. Before that, yes, so much. So, can yes. you go? Can you tell us about your childhood?
1: Yes, uh, thank you for that question. Um, I think when I think back, before we arrived to United States, uh, we arrived in 1998. Um, it's around winter time, so that was not that was something that we were not prepared for. Um, you know, going back a little bit, um, I was born in Khartoum, which is the capital of Sudan. Before. South Sudan got his independence. Um, So in Khartoum, life was normal, just going to school as a kindergarten. And my dad was theologian. So one of the beautiful things about my childhood was that I stayed with my dad um, during school when he was teaching at the university. And then I think that's when I got introduced into the world of our savior. And it was unique because during that school time, I go to school, go to kindergarten, and then The sisters of the universities uh, babysit me after my dad uh, is done teaching. And one of the things that my dad does is that he helps a lot of the community members receive care or resources. But that's a day that starts from 6 a.m. and ends at 9 p.m. And one of the things that was unique around the atmosphere is that the university was that I got to learn— the aspect of community, the aspect of, you know, how how to connect with others, even as a kindergarten, because the sisters at the universities taught me all those things. Um, and then during the summer, uh, my mother owned a brewing company. So I get to go stay with her. So it's, you can see the different dynamics of relationships that was kind of instilled in me as a childhood. And I think that kind of played a big part in my current personality, where I'm able to see the uniqueness of communities and integrate myself. Um, but during my childhood, it was a lot of care from—it's like the, the communal care feeling. Basically, yeah. you don't feel like a person is foreign or that's 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 a that's a stranger because everyone has that feeling. Of like, I care about this person because mm-hmm. you're in proximity and you are loved. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I truly miss in that human-centric approach um, when growing up. And in Sudan, that's one of the biggest things is that there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of despair, and. Even through that darkness, and it's kind of serendipitous that we're kind of sitting in the dark because yeah. the power went out. But I think that just goes through the journey of, you know, in life, we go through a lot of darkness. And, and in my childhood, one of the biggest things that we struggled with was the turmoil between being a Christian in an Islamic country. That was one of the biggest things that was pretty—it was hard because I kind of see the this, this, this stress and the turmoil in my dad's life that he was still true to his faith, but he was always challenged every day for his faith. And I think that showed the fortitude, um, no pun intended, of my dad. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. Yes. Showing that, <clears throat> excuse me, showing that he, through all those darkness and through all those challenges that he still wants to show that we are loved, that we are taken care of. And, and even being a child, there's things that we weren't privy to, things that we didn't know. So we just live life that thinking everything's okay and that hope is just in the horizon because we have someone that cares for us.
0: Sudan is you alluded, alluded to this. Mm-hmm. Sudan is mostly Muslim. So
1: it's it's a mix of different races, but the prominent religion is is Islam. So mm-hmm. um and one of the biggest things is that with everyone living in Sudan, your faith can always be challenged. Mm-hmm. But Islam was was the was and still is the fastest growing religion currently. Um, and I think within that demographic of religion, that made it very hard for us to, to continue our faith. And that was one of the reasons why we migrated from Khartoum, which is the capital of Sudan. And in my childhood, it wasn't really, you know, flowers and roses. It was a lot of turmoil. There was lots of dangers at any moment. Um, we dealt with a lot of rebel groups and... And one of the biggest things that we actually had to move and migrate from uh, where my dad was at was because my dad was being persecuted because he was continuing to teach Christianity. And these are things that I wasn't really privy to until I got older, and I never knew why we migrated so much. So one of the biggest things is when my dad finally said that, I don't think we're longer safe to stay in in this country, um, in Khartoum, he decided to say, hey, we should probably move to Acoba. Acoba was the village that he was born but because of transportation and lack of roads and and all those things, you know, making the journey. It's not like, hey, I want to go from my house to grandma's house. It was traveling across the country, walking thousands of miles just to 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 arrive at safety or feel a belonging with your community. Um, so when my dad decided that, hey, we didn't know we are no longer safe in Khartoum, which was the capital of Sudan, and in that journey, there was other refugees that were making the same journey to safety and to hope because again persecution lack of resources hunger famine um, and all the elemental things that happen and affect people's lives and I think the beginning of the journey of us arriving to United States was when my dad said hey we we are no longer safe here we should probably travel south south of Sudan to to see where where our ancestors where our heritage was and where he was from and to make that journey we traveled from. Khartoum to um, Nairobi, 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 to Juba, and then Malakal, and all these countries in Sudan, you had to walk.
2: Yeah.
1: You had to take a bus, you had to take a boat. And and for a five-year-old, and my I had my brother then.
2: Who was two and a half?
1: He was two and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and during that journey, there was a lot of danger. There was a lot of unknowns. And I think through that journey, one of the things that opened my eyes was the first experience of trauma. That trauma was when we were going to this country, I forgot the name of it, but it was actually a village. We had to take a boat and this boat was a three day ride. But within this boat, there was a lot of rebel groups. There was a lot of soldiers and you know, being a kid, I was just blissful. It was a ride. And and that was the protection that a lot of kids and parents don't understand, or kids don't understand that. Sometimes parents protect you from so much darkness. And once I got older and they told me the story and, you know, within this boat, we were traveling for three days and, you know, I was just exploring and walking around. And one of the things that just completely just made me pause and, and seeing the essence of life that can just be taken so fast. And when I was walking around this boat, there was just this smell, and I—I I couldn't tell what it was. I didn't think—I didn't know it was maybe somebody was burning something, and and just walking around. And I—I I was trying to find the smell, and and I you know the smell got stronger as I try to like discover where it's at. And then, as soon as I arrived to the source of the smell, it was in a dark room, and and I was you know curious. Kids always curious. It, it, they just they just beam to darkness, mm-hmm. and there's this. There was a shed. It was a shed within this boat. And and it was it was really dark. And I was curious. And I was like, okay, I really want to know what the smell is. And as I was walking slowly, I was walking slowly towards, and the smell kept getting stronger. And the smell kept getting stronger. And as soon as I got in there, they it was just the aroma completely like paralyzed me. And within this, I there was a little bit of light that shone that towards towards the back of the room. And it was right there that I understood that life isn't always as blissful as my parents had made it. And within this room and the source of the smell, it was a young lady. And this young lady, she was crying. She had blisters. And and at that time, I didn't know what language she spoke. I just knew that she she looked like me. Um, but her dialect, she spoke Arabic and she couldn't really get the words to respond to me. And I kept asking, I was like, what's wrong? I was like, why are you crying? You know, kids always ask questions. Yeah. And and as I got closer to her, the smell just kept getting stronger. And then as I got closer to her, I saw that parts of her skin was white and parts of her skin was peeling. And then, and then I asked like, what happened? And then some noise came in the back behind me and said, hey, don't go there. Don't go there. And I got this person just grabbed me by, by my uh, shirt and just yanked me back and says, don't go in there. And I was like, what happened? And then, you know, it, I, I, just, I just couldn't get that lady off my head. So then I had to ask like, what happened to that lady? And Then my mother at the time, she, she said that I don't want you to go in there because something happened, something really bad happened to this lady. And then I don't know if she was trying to minimize the story to, to save my feelings. Yeah. And she was just telling me, that don't go there, and whatever you do, don't say these words, don't speak this language. In Africa, there's over 136 different dialects. If you say the wrong dialect, that can either mean life or death. So, with when my mom was explaining to me, she said, "Don't speak this dialect, don't say anything." But that woman was tortured, and she was being tortured with a fire, and she was being burned alive. That's what that smell was coming from. Uh. And right in that moment, I just started crying. It's like, why would someone do that? And then. And then, you know, it was day two of the journey and then, you know, started walking around again. I just, the smell just, even till this day, I can still smell it in my yeah, head and yeah, doesn't go away. it does not go away. And then that was the start.
2: Yeah, uh,
1: That was the start of the darkness and despair that through the journey, I thought it was supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, you know, a, we're going to a place that is like a safe haven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But every step that we went has just been another lens of danger, another lens of, of, feeling uncertain and that was the start of it
2: and that's stuff that your dad and your mom were trying to protect you from because yes. they didn't want you to see the true evil of yes. what other humans can do to other humans yes on this journey you said when you guys left because of the rebel groups and the things that you were seeing um as you and i were talking i said man Qual, i i have only seen this in movies you know when you see the rebels go into villages and just rip apart families and just take take lives and it's very um it's like i don't understand how someone can have that much darkness inside them that a human life means nothing to them um i have yet to really understand it other than the spiritual battle right yeah. and and the evil is very powerful yeah. <clears throat> and so the things that you saw is Uncomprehendable. Even you mentioned that your dad did get put in jail for like three, six yeah. months or something. Yeah. And, yeah. and you saw he took his shirt off and yeah. he had lashes on yeah. his back.
1: Yeah, it, this is one of the villages that we arrived at. And this was after walking hundreds of miles. And and th- there's always these checkpoints. And this where these rebel groups are from. And when you get to these checkpoints, they either, one, take your belongings. They ask you questions. You speak the dialect. And this is where language is very important. If you don't speak the dialect the entire group would either just be massacred right there. And luckily my dad spoke Arabic and other languages to, to communicate safety that we're not there to harm or we're not there to, because then there was a lot of civil war back then and in, in South Sudan. And one of the things that was so prominent is that every step is like walking on eggshells, like every day, you you know, you might not even wake up the next day. So within these checkpoints, these rebel groups basically ask you questions like, Hey, where are you from? Where, what do you have? What belongings do you have? And, we had to stay in this village because we had to rest for several days just to gain some supplies. And, and within this village, there were several soldiers that came by and they were like, you know, asking my dad and interrogating questions. And, and one of the things that i I still hold true to my dad and why I look up to him is that when he was being questioned, he was asked like, you know, what religion do you practice? What are you, what are you doing? And, and then my dad had one, gathering at this village. And he had a a group of people praying together for the journey and for safety. And the rebel groups came and took him and started questioning, interrogating him. And, and when that happened, he, he was gone for a while and and we don't know, we didn't know what was happening to him. And within this journey, we were taken care of. And that's where that concept of communal care, um, why we felt like nothing was missing because we were still taken care of. We were, we were kind of given blindfolds to what's really happening and when my dad came back to us and, you know, we prayed and, and we were joyous, but w- my dad ha- was sitting down majority of the time and his shirt was just bleeding. And we were like, dad, what's, what's wrong? And he's like, no, it's just about the the floor. And, you know, being kids, we're just, like, oh, okay. You give us one quick answer and then we're okay. Right. And then, you know, my dad was in bandages and he was just sitting in this room like majority of the time. And. There's some people coming in the rooms. And this was like a house. It wasn't like a house. It was the, the village yeah, was mostly like, made. Yeah. So it was huts and mm-hmm. all that. But in this room that he was sitting in, people came and visited him. People came and, and did all these things. But my dad was saving us from seeing his scars. Yeah. And we asked him, I was like, dad, where are these from? And then he finally told us like, this was because they were questioning my faith. And, and he stayed and, true. And he stayed true.
2: That is happening all over our world right now. Yeah. Where people are being persecuted left yeah. and right for their faith, and yeah. they're not backing down because yeah. we have the promise of eternity. Yeah. And so it's a—I can't even imagine the the battle that your dad was feeling in that moment. Of I—I I don't want to leave my boy, yeah. like I, my family, yeah. but if it comes, if it comes to it, yeah. he's they—they're being taken care of by yeah. others, which is. I mean, we talked about your uncles and yeah. your extended family and all the people who just wrap their arms around you guys yeah. as kids. And um, because you you just you never know yeah. when someone might get yeah. taken from you. Yes, this journey. Um, your your mom also passed when you were five, so your mom was not on this journey with you, correct?
1: No, no. My mom passed away when I was five, and then you know, due to. My dad knowing that he needs somebody to, to care for us. Yeah. So my dad uh remarried to my stepmom, um, beautiful lady. And one of the principles i learned about integrity and responsibility have came from her.
0: Yeah. And
1: and she's the one that made that journey with us. And one of the things that was beautiful is that she spoke a language that was probably saved us a couple of times. Um, and she's very strong willed and she taught me a lot of principles about being responsible by taking care of those people around you. So Man.
2: yeah well i'm really grateful that you made it through the journey thank you to be yeah. sitting here with us today and you. um your dad is is no longer here either correct no my dad, dad passed away. yeah
1: he he's passed away in uh 2021 um it was he his heart but he had a very weak heart and i think covid just kind of just kind of just made it a little bit harder yeah,
0: yeah. What, what year did you make it what year did you make it here Nineteen ninety eight. Okay. Yeah. So we got to be here for three years. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No. Do you say three years? Ninety-eight to twenty
0: one. Ah, no, I can do math good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, he passed away twenty twenty actually no. Yes, uh twenty twenty one he passed away and, and yeah, when we came here in nineteen ninety eight, it was uh my stepmother, my brother Dew, younger sister, Nepal, and then myself. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. there was yeah.
2: just 20 years you missed. It's yeah. okay. That's fine. Because it was 01. <laughs> yeah, 01 and, and right. he just
1: skipped the whole timeline. That's fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so um, did you have any more questions about that? There's so many things in your childhood yeah. that we could touch on, but yeah. that's, th- those
0: are some pretty unique. Yeah. I was on a walk with my little girls, my young, my two youngest, just mm-hmm. this last weekend. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, just, it's like a three mile loop around a mm-hmm. lake. And um, the younger, our youngest is five. And we were probably a, a mile and a half in. And we could have gone another mile or two miles yeah. around, and I made the conscious decision that oh, we'll just turn around and go back the way we, yeah. we came, yeah. you know. And my empathy was was going towards her yeah. as just short little legs. Yep. And I think about the journey that you took, and uh, in the context of, uh, they're capable of doing so much more yep. than we than we know than we. Th- than we think they can, right? Like she could have made it around, and it would have maybe been kind of hard. Yeah. But do you have any memories of of long walks that you were you were just exhausted or you couldn't go any farther? And 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 what your parents did to encourage you?
1: So my younger brother, um, do he was about three. Um, so my dad carried him, and again, children have weak legs; they can't go for long, and you know they walk for maybe a few hours. Mm-hmm. But what my dad did is he carried my brother on his his back and as you can see the strain and 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 fatigue that kicks in when you're carrying no matter how small a person is but as you carry them they they were just so much danger in the walks there's thorns um and one of the things that i remember from the walk being a five-year-old i walked all those those journeys but it was it was lace was excitement because It was we're going somewhere. It's like it's like Mm -hmm. a journey and Mm -hmm. and to a place that's unknown, but it's just exciting. So that was that euphoria. But my brother physically he couldn't do it. But I think walking as a five year old and making that journey is like the equivalent of having your children walk from here to probably um, Oklahoma
0: on on foot on a daily uh, and
1: over time over time. And and this journey take took several months, Mm -hmm. and and it was just filled with dangers. And one of the things that I I was not prepared for is it. like when you gather in a campfire, one of the things that you also have to watch out for is mother nature. And yeah. that includes hyenas, lions and all the things. And one of the things that I still remember is that it was probably over a hundred of us, but I think only about 50 of us made it in the journey because it, of wild animals, wild animals, sickness, um, just people couldn't make the journey, um, other influences from other people. And, and you just never know if you're going to survive the next day.
0: Yeah, this is this is incomprehensible to me as a dad. If 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 uh, on this journey the other day we stopped and there were some horses yeah. that or came up to a fence yeah. against us and yeah. we we're just kind of touching this horse yeah. and that in itself yeah. was nervous. Like yeah. we don't know this horse, we don't yeah. know what it's capable of doing. Yeah, and that was a, a nervous moment for me. And so just being the protective dad, yeah. no less. Yeah. I have to sleep. And there's wild animals, and I have to get up, and I have to lead my family the next day. Yeah, Yeah. has your dad ever talked about that?
1: Yep, my our dad, and that's the crazy thing is like our dad said, like when you guys are sleeping, there's a rotation of night watchers, and 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 our dad was just saying, be careful, stay close, and you pinpoint your caretakers within this journey. So it was like a systematic journey, like you know who to go to if you're lost, if you are left behind there's a, there's a rest point. And then there's a person who would run and give a message to people who are walking a little bit faster. Mm. So there was a system, but even within that system, there's still elements of nature that can still impact it. And that was one of the most beautiful thing about the journey. And imagine us planning a trip. Let's say we're going to the Hills and, you know um, you know, in South Dakota here, uh, one of the things is, is you feel that you have a plan and within this plan, everything is, has an itinerary. But back then, the itineraries mixed with different people, different tribes, different languages. And if one error of the communication, that
0: means life or death for several people. Man. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. There's so much to learn there. <laughs> so much we could learn and how to do life yeah. today because yeah. of that. Yeah.
2: Communication. Yes. That's, to me, uh, one thing. It's like Communication. Why can't we just have a conversation and just be real? And think about that. You don't have just one or two dads or leaders within that pack. You have a lot of personalities, a lot of people who think they're right. A A lot lot of, and all the one common goal is survival and protection of their family. So you have to back down, humble yourself and just get there. However you have to get there. I wish more people had that concept.
1: And at the end of the day, we just, We have a common goal, but sometimes we can get to it differently. But you have to have that strategic plan and say, look, here's how we're going to get there. Here's what we want. But let's let's work together within our strengths to do that. And I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the cultures that keeps community strong is that you get to lean on each other and call each other Mm
2: -hmm. when
1: when your accountability is in question. And love. Yes.
2: Like the one thing that you have... Mentioned to me several times in our conversations has been the, the, the common theme was that it was about love yep. every beat, every beat of it. Yeah.
1: Cause love does not discriminate. It doesn't judge and she, you can try to manipulate it, but at the end of the day, you still have to return to the original source of what it means. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I remember saying to you, I'm like, I, I just can't wait to meet your dad. And dad in heaven, <laughs> oh, I just.
1: He'll tell you stories. he probably make fun of me, but it's all right.
2: What a man, yes. though. Just, I love your dad. And yes. I um, thank you for sharing him yes. through your story. Yeah. You, I want, I want to walk into the refugee side of things. Because yep. you got here when you were 10 years old. Yep. And it was not only your Dad and your stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: There's my brother do and his younger sister Nepal, who was, uh, I think, just about to turn two.
2: Okay, yeah. so you move you. Where was the first place you guys moved to?
1: New York, New York. That was a brisk, cold, Ooh. and 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 right before we arrived, and you know, going through refugee camps and telling us about America and where you're going, they painted a picture that when we arrive, it'll be golden and sunny and, and, you know, <laughs> blonde hair and blue <laughs> eyes. And it was like angelic arrival. But in, when you arrive in, you know, the airport, it was cold and lots of people walking back and forth. And I was just, I was taken back a little bit. I was like, these people, there's so much people in, but there's no smiles. Mm-hmm. People oh, are just mean. passing by. <coughs> no, so there was no, there. there was no connection. Yeah. Even if you're in close proximity, there was no connection. People didn't, you you think you see somebody, but they don't see each other. They don't acknowledge. And that kind of broke my heart because the picture in the image I had in my head is like, you, you get seen, you, you arrive and there's joy, but
2: welcome. People, yeah, welcome. And yeah. They,
1: nope, they were told like, go sit over there. And we were told, and I, that was the first time I saw an escalator and it was quite unique. And yeah, we were told to sit to next to this uh, escalator, and it was a cold floor, and there was a, maybe about like thirty or forty of us. And then the, the program that we came through, we just the person just came by and just gave us cashiers, cashier's cash, cash, and, and then I'm like, okay, I, I don't, I, I didn't understand what's going on, right. and I was like, okay. And then we were told, hey, go here, and then there was a sign, and then you you follow it. It it just it just felt like it felt like it was a programmed approach of connection like there was no authenticity of of like a warm person feeling in your presence like nope you're just you're a number now Mm -hmm. you're a number and and if i go back to that human-centric approach may being made feel like a number was something i never want to give to anybody and i Mm -hmm. think that's probably encouraged my personality is like i don't want someone to just feel like they're just a number
0: yeah that's great what yeah. do you remember what time of year you flew in um, it was September yeah that's cold yeah if only you'd flown into Sioux Falls you would've yeah, got it, that warm welcome yes yeah stood out <laughs> the Midwest the free- nice and then the yeah. freezing cold outside yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: New York it was, it was cold and, and it was like actually no it was right it was, it was end of September so like we stayed there for like two or three days. So it was like, you know, beginning of right about
0: October. And where did you fly from
1: to, to um, New York? From London. So we had yeah. to travel from Ethiopia to London, from London to here. And it was a twenty four hour journey and yeah. I was awake that entire time. Wow. That's a five year old. Yes. yes. It's the
2: journey. You were excited. Yeah, I
1: was excited and I was awake you and, yeah, and made it. And Amazing. and silly thing, just a I added note, the first American food, I don't know if it was American or not, but it was jelly. It was in the plane.
2: Jelly. Yeah. In the little in was, the, in the little, little, container. little container.
1: I was like first American, I, I couldn't describe very American yeah, too. Yeah. And very I couldn't American. describe the textures. Like I couldn't feel I can feel it, but I couldn't really feel it. And it was just <laughs> it was just like it's like I don't know what this is, but it's sweet. So, that was quite interesting.
0: When are there still people making a very similar journey today?
1: Yes, similar journey, but not in the essence that, you know, the world develop and the country looks different after almost 25 or 30 years. Yeah. Um, but the journey is different, it's a lot easier, but the turmoil is still there.
0: Is there still is there still um, people sitting sleeping outside with Wild,
1: yeah, wild animals, and, th- and that's the different parts of the villages. There's parts who are that are developed, and some parts are just still the same. Yeah. Um. There's there's access to certain resources, but because you know Africa being called a dark country, it's it's not as harsh as it was, yeah. but it's not as easy living as people may think. So, if
0: you see someone in the airport, yeah, you you don't know what their story is. Yeah. It's easy to yeah. judge, yeah. But remember the story, yeah. Remember this: they may have gone through some stuff, yeah. So have some empathy, yeah. you know, pass yeah. on some patience, yeah. some love, some yeah. caring, compassion. Yep. Yeah.
2: Think about you were just walked for months,
0: yeah.
2: months to get to safety. I hear
0: mm-hmm. someone's like, I just, then, Uber was late. Yeah, yeah. And now they're upset. <laughs> Come oh, on. Yes. Right. Yes.
2: Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Cause that's something I kept thinking about as you were, you were just talking about how you arrive and it's yeah. like not a single smile, not a. Of welcome. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. It doesn't matter if you're pumping your gas. Yeah. Just say, hey, yeah. hey, yeah. <laughs> like, like, hello, how Hi. are you? Yeah. Yes. yeah. What? A, I mean, a lot of people, I always chuckle when people always use the weather as a beginning thing, like, wow, today sure is rainy. Yeah. 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 Stay in the obvious. But yeah. it, they're st- just trying to strike up a conversation yeah. with you. Yeah. So engage.
1: Yeah. I and one, one of the hardest things that I always find out about engagement is that sometimes we overthink the human connection. Um, we are wired and designed to connect, but I think sometimes we put so many barriers and parameters and, and expectations. Like, well, what if you don't like me? What, what if what if this happens? What if we don't speak the same language? <laughs> but I think when when we think about the human connection and human centric approach to things, we just overcomplicate things.
2: Yes, we do.
1: We over. It's it's just like just wave. And if you don't say uh, if you don't want to say hello back, that's fine. At least I did my part in our connection.
2: Yeah. Universal <laughs> yeah. smile, man. Yeah, just the smile and the yeah. look in the eye. Yeah, like. I see you.
1: Yeah, I see you. And that's it. <laughs> but life has evolved us into so many different things because all the turmoil and despair and all the narratives and all the things that happen. But I think at the end of the day, we're just longing for a connection. I think COVID kind of hit that reset button to say people need to check in internally and then check in with the externals as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. they sure
1: do.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so New York, New York. But mm. here we are mm-hmm. in South Dakota. Yeah. So how did you end up? I mean, you're in the U.S. Yeah. Did you travel? Take another journey? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, so after New York, New York, um, um, yep. After New York, New York, it was Buffalo, New York. From Buffalo to Minnesota to Otana, to, uh, and all we probably lived in like twenty-two different states. And okay. one of the reasons was because that communal care and my dad's role then was to connect a lot of the refugee families to resources. So we moved a lot, and I didn't know okay. why. So every grade I've been to has been a different state or a different. A different uh, location, or even a different country. Um, but yeah, that's that was twenty-two states.
0: Yeah, I've lived here my entire life. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: Midwest was I, because of school. No, we're close to twenty-two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, chose Midwest because of school, and again, like what, this phrase we say, "the Midwest, nice." Um, yeah. And and when I talked about you know people saying hello to each other, South Dakota was the first place that someone actually acknowledged and actually checked in with you, mm-hmm. but. And from there, just you know, started my career, and and there's a lot of connections and a lot of a lot of mentors, and just decided you know to either raise a family here or just build my career here. So
2: yeah, yeah. Wow, what you're doing both? Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, when you when you talk about the process Mm -hmm. of the refugee Mm -hmm. and just anybody, there's so many languages. Mm -hmm. Oh man, like languages and. I don't even know the number. Like, I think that there probably is
0: languages in Sioux falls.
2: Well, just in more than one. Yeah. (laughs) More
0: than one. There's probably over maybe
1: 93 different languages and different communities and refugees that live here. So in the,
2: in the nation, (laughs) let's go there. Do you think that the U S is doing a good job?
1: The U S is doing a good job in, in receiving, but there's a lot of external influences. Um, and even now, people who moved here and been here for almost twenty to thirty years, who are refugees, are wanting to want either go back or bring their family here. Yeah. But the United States is doing a good job in certain things. But I think what makes being a refugee difficult is that those barriers, those challenges, and those determinants to, to social living. But we're educating ourselves on how to receive. Okay. And how, how to receive people.
2: How can we do? How? Because there's there's just a, there's a lot of. Um... I don't want to say stereotype the right word yeah. but just there's a lot of of things that we like I just said yeah. when I when you and I were talking I'm like mm-hmm. well I've only seen this stuff in the movies like yeah. you've physically spiritually and like you've you emotionally you experienced this yeah. firsthand you've seen some of the toughest toughest things yeah. and so um I, I as a little kid, I dreamt about having friends like you. Yeah. Because I wanted, I wanted to just, I'm like, this isn't just in the movies. This is real. So how can we do better in the engagement, in the communal side of things? It's like, how can we operate and not systematically, but just how can we, how can we engage better?
1: And that's important uh, question. And this is the part where people will tell them the "Well, You're such a people person. How do you connect with everyone? And I think that connection just comes down to saying I don't know what your story is, but I'm here to listen. And yeah. a lot of times that's one of the things that we don't do as a society is listen. We assume what another person needs before we ask. And I think that's where the empathy is. Like You can understand, try to understand what that person's story is. But at the end of the day, we try to solve problems before we even know what the problem is. So sometimes just say, hey, I don't know. Teach me or or ask me. That's usually the first step. Curiosity.
0: Curiosity. Yeah. yeah.
1: Just be curious. Yeah.
0: Seek first. Seek yep. first to understand. Yes, yes.
2: I've learned that one the hard way in our marriage. Yeah. Seek first to understand. Yes.
0: Yep. Yeah,
2: yeah. Wow. So, what are what are some of the um, the things because your your children are not experiencing the same sort of things, mm. um, but from a Christian perspective and the things that you have taken from the beautiful examples that your father mm. has left you, how are you leading your your kiddos
1: um for me it's is it's always seeking guidance and then saying i don't know and then growing with your partner and and one of the most beautiful things about you know family dynamics is that you have to hold each other accountable yeah um and one of the things that goes into social determinants of of challenges in life is that when your inner circle of your support system of your family fails that's when we start to lead into darkness and and something that I've learned as a leader and from my father is that, you know, family is everything, but make sure that you hold yourself accountable and be true to to the ones you love. And then if you don't know, ask for help. And I think for somebody like me, who always been a self-taught person, I, I don't like asking for help because it makes me seem not necessarily weak, but it feels like I'm, I'm not capable of doing something by asking for help. But the biggest growth I've ever had was asking for help. And asking for help when when I when I need it and then asking for help when I don't need it either and what that means is you bring people in your circle so you grow together and that's one of the things that I learned as being you know raising a family and just just asking for help mm-hmm. sometimes we forget that but our our society has made us to not ask for help mm-hmm. but I think that's where my growing point is It's just asking learning to ask for help
2: that's that's really good
1: hmm
0: huh. What do you got? I wonder if you can help encourage us and for and and help us form our thoughts on the current state of immigration in the United States with the context of the southern border and a little bit of the northern border too. Yeah. I think and I have empathy uh towards the tough situation that those people are going through mm-hmm. and it's a complex mm-hmm. very Difficult thing mm-hmm. to, um, to, well, to think about, yeah, and then to, to, to form a decision. And there's, there are very many strong opinions on this,
1: yeah.
0: From your perspective, how can we, how can you form our thinking about this? I'm not asking for your opinion. Mm-hmm. How can we think about this?
1: Well, I'm not an expert in immigration or anything like that, um, but on the topics of feeling the experience of wanting to be somewhere because of security and, and to feel safe just for your family. One of the things that I feel that's important to start thinking about is, is the why behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, once you understand the why, then it's easier to, to make things a lot easier to, to have an understanding of what you can do. But what happens is, is that like, well, we can't do it because of this, this, and that. We always find the reasons why we can't do something. Mm -hmm. But the perspective of immigration and, and people wanting to come to a different country or migrate for safety is lots of reasons. Once one for new life, safety, and a lot of immigrants come here for different reasons. Um, but majority of them come for a better life. Mm-hmm. And when we understand that concept, of, hey, if some people just want a better life. Then how can we make that better? Mm-hmm. And I think in life, and, and you know, when we're born, one of the biggest goals I feel is that to reduce the suffering of others. But we kind of tend to have society and systematic things that put a challenge in and, and, and a stipend to those things. So to go back to your question of how can we start thinking about those things is just understanding why people want to be somewhere safe. It's just in our ability and our na- need to just to survive. Mm-hmm. So if you start thinking about that, we can to remove the political lens, um, social determinants and all those things. But if you really want to think about immigration, just see why why are those people moving? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where that conversation can start there.
2: Yeah. Can I add to that for a second? Yeah. The, the, the thing for me is I look at every single person as a child of God. I don't see immigrant and I don't see you're from here and you're from there and you're from this. It's like, we are all children of God and we're in a messed up world that is completely in bondage in so many, so many ways. So it's like, if we could just strip off those labels and colors and all the things and just look at each other and, man, you are a child of God. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes everything different.
1: Yeah.
2: <clears throat> everything. Because we all have the same needs. Yeah. We all have the same, like, different wants. Yeah. But the need for survival, food. Yeah. All the necessities. Safety. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the lens that I try to look through. I don't do it perfect every day, but... <laughs> Well, I, one last thing that, um, I, from everything that you're saying and all the conversations that we have had, mm-hmm. the one lesson that I have learned from you is the communal piece of it is like just, um, communal care. Yep. Like if we could all strive to really love your neighbor yep. and we could all really strive to be there for one another yep. and seek to understand, yep. hear their stories out yep. and take care of one another, regardless if they're your flesh and blood. Yep right? Like yep. if we don't share the same DNA yep. earthly, we share the same DNA in yep. heaven. And yes. so it's, it's a incredible lesson that you have taught me and reminded me of. So thank you very, very much for being here and sharing your story. qual. Well, thank you for
1: having me in this space and sharing in story time with you guys. And I should thank you for sharing your guys heart and space. And I think a lot of times when people want to connect and this last piece for me is that through storytelling, I think we can start to heal the human connection is just hearing each other's story
2: amen brother
0: thank you for having me Yeah, thanks for being here thanks for being here thank you thank you so much for listening we want to change lives through this podcast and if you want to support this podcast or our guests please see the links below for our patreon and giving links
2: and like and subscribe and also share our podcast as much as possible thank you